0: The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar. A half hour later, the commissary of police arrived, then the coroner and the chief of the Surete, Monsieur Dudouis. I had been careful not to touch the corpse. The preliminary inquiry was very brief and disclosed nothing. There were no papers in the pockets of the deceased, no name upon his clothes, no initial upon his linen, nothing to give any clue to his identity. The room was in the same perfect order as before. The furniture had not been disturbed, yet this man had not come to my house solely for the purpose of killing himself, or because he considered my place the most convenient one for his suicide. There must have been a motive for his act of despair, and that motive was, no doubt, the result of some new fact ascertained by him during the three minutes he was alone. What was that fact? What had he seen? What frightful secret had been revealed to him? There was no answer to these questions. But at the last moment, an incident occurred that appeared to us of considerable importance. As two policemen were raising the body to place it on a stretcher, the left hand thus being disturbed, a crumpled card fell from it. The card bore these words. George Andermatt, 37, Rue de Berry. What did that mean? George Andermatt was a rich banker in Paris, the founder and president of the Metal Exchange, which had given such an impulse to the metallic industries in France. He lived in princely style, was the possessor of "'numerous automobiles, coaches, and an expensive racing stable. "'His social affairs were very select, "'and Madame Andermatt was noted for her grace and beauty.' "'Can that be the man's name?' I asked. "'The chief of the Sûreté leaned over him. "'It is not he. "'Monsieur Andermatt is a thin man and slightly grey. "'But why his card?' "'Have you a telephone, monsieur?' ''Yes, in the vestibule. Come with me.'' He looked in the directory and then asked for number four hundred fifteen twenty-one. ''Is Monsieur Andermatt at home?'' ''Please tell him that Monsieur Dudouis wishes him to come at once to 102 Boulevard Mayo. Very important.'' Twenty minutes later, Monsieur Andermatt arrived in his automobile. After the circumstances had been explained to him, he was taken in to see the corpse.'' He displayed considerable emotion and spoke in a low tone and apparently unwillingly. Etienne Varin, he said. You know him? No, or at least, yes, by sight only. His brother, ah, he has a brother. Yes, Alfred Varin. He came to see me once on some matter of business. I forget what it was. Where does he live? The two brothers live together at Rue de Provence, I think. Do you know any reason why he should commit suicide? None. He held a card in his hand. It was your card with your address. I do not understand that. It must have been there by some chance that will be disclosed by the investigation. A very strange chance, I thought, and I felt that the others entertained the same impression. I discovered the same impression in the papers next day, and amongst all my friends with whom I discussed the affair. Amid the mysteries that enveloped it, after the double discovery of the seven of hearts pierced with seven holes, after the two inscrutable events that had happened in my house, that visiting card promised to throw some light on the affair, through it the truth may be revealed. But contrary to our expectations, Monsieur Andermatt furnished no explanation. He said, I have told you all I know. What more can I do? I am greatly surprised that my card should be found in such a place, and I sincerely hope the point will be cleared up. It was not the official investigation established that the Varan brothers were of Swiss origin had led a shifting life under various names. "'frequenting gambling resorts, associating with a band of foreigners "'who had been dispersed by the police after a series of robberies "'in which their participation was established only by their flight. "'At number 24, Rue de Provence, where the Varan brothers had lived six years before, "'no one knew what had become of them. "'I confess that, for my part, the case seemed so complicated and so mysterious "'that I did not think the problem would ever be solved.' so I concluded to waste no more time upon it. But Jean d'aspry whom I frequently met at that period, became more and more interested in it each day. It was he who pointed out to me that item from a foreign newspaper, which was reproduced and commented upon by the entire press. It was as follows. The first trial of a new model of submarine boats, which is expected to revolutionize naval warfare, will be given in presence of the former emperor at a place... "'that will be kept secret until the last minute. "'An indiscretion has revealed its name. "'It is called the Seven of Hearts.' "'The Seven of Hearts?' "'That presented a new problem. "'Could a connection be established "'between the name of the submarine "'and the incidents which we have related? "'But a connection of what nature? "'What happened here could have no possible relation "'with the submarine.' "'What do you know about it?' said Dasprey to me. The most diverse effects often proceed from the same cause. Two days later, the following foreign news item was received and published. It is said that the plans of the new submarine Seven of Hearts were prepared by French engineers who, having sought in vain the support of their compatriots, subsequently entered into negotiations with the British Admiralty without success. I do not wish to give undue publicity to certain delicate matters which once provoked considerable excitement. Yet, since all danger of injury therefrom has now come to an end, I must speak of the article that appeared in the Écho de France, which aroused so much comment at that time, and which threw considerable light upon the mystery of the Seven of Hearts. This is the article as it was published over the signature of Salvatore. The Affair of the Seven Hearts, a corner of the veil raised. We will be brief. Ten years ago, a young mining engineer, Louis Lacombe, wishing to devote his time and fortune to certain studies, resigned his position he then held and rented No. 102 Boulevard Mayo, a small house that had been recently built and decorated for an Italian count. Through the agency of the Varan brothers of Lausanne, one of whom assisted in the preliminary experiments, whilst the other acted as financial agent. The young engineer was introduced to George Andermatt, the founder of the Metal Exchange. After several interviews, he succeeded in interesting the banker in a submarine boat on which he was working, and it was agreed that as soon as the invention was perfected, Monsieur Andermatt would use his influence with the Minister of Marine to obtain a series of trials under the direction of the government. For two years, Louis Lacombe was a frequent visitor at Andermatt's house, and he submitted to the banker the various improvements he made upon his original plans, until one day, being satisfied with the perfection of his work, he asked Monsieur Andermatt to communicate with the Minister of Marine. That day, Louis Lacombe dined at Monsieur Andermatt's house. He left there about half-past eleven at night. He has not been seen since. A perusal of the newspapers of that date will show that the young man's family caused every possible inquiry to be made, but without success, and it was the general opinion that Louis Lacombe, who was known as an original and visionary youth, had quietly left for parts unknown. Let us accept that theory, improbable though it be, and let us consider another question which is a most important one for our country. What has become of the plans of the submarine? Did Louis Lacombe carry them away? Are they destroyed? After making a thorough investigation, we are able to assert positively that the plans are in existence and are now in the possession of the two brothers Varin. How did they acquire such a possession? That is a question not yet determined, nor do we know why they have not tried to sell them at an earlier date. Did they fear that their title to them would be called in question? If so, they have lost that fear, and we can announce definitely that the plans of Louis Lacombe are now the property of a foreign power, and we are in a position to publish the correspondence that passed between the Varon brothers and the representative of that power." The Seven of Hearts invented by Louis Lacombe has actually been constructed by our neighbor. Will the invention fulfill the optimistic expectations of those who were concerned in that treacherous act? And a postscript adds, Later, Our special correspondent informs us that the preliminary trial of the Seven of Hearts has not been satisfactory. It is quite likely that the plan sold and delivered by the Varan brothers did not include the final document carried by Louis Lacombe to Monsieur Andermatt on the day of his disappearance, a document that was indispensable to a thorough understanding of the invention. It contained a summary of the final conclusions of the inventor and estimates and figures not contained in the other papers. Without this document, the plans are incomplete. On the other hand, without the plans, the document is worthless. Now is the time to act and recover what belongs to us. It may be a difficult matter, but we rely upon the assistance of Monsieur Andermatt. It will be to his interest to explain his conduct which has hitherto been so strange and inscrutable. He will explain not only why he concealed these facts at the time of the suicide of Etienne Varan, but also why he has never revealed the disappearance of the paper, a fact well known to him. He will tell why, during the last six years, he paid spies to watch the movements of the Varan brothers. We expect from him not only words, but acts, and at once. Otherwise... The threat was plainly expressed. But of what did it consist? What whip was Salvatore, the anonymous writer of the article, holding over the head of Monsieur Andermatt? An army of reporters attacked the banker, and ten interviewers announced the scornful manner in which they were treated. Thereupon, the Écho de France announced its position in these words, "'Whether Monsieur Andermatt is willing or not, he will be, henceforth, our collaborator in the work we have undertaken.' Dasprey and i were dining together on the day on which that announcement appeared that evening with the newspapers spread over my table we discussed the affair and examined it from every point of view with that exasperation that a person feels when walking in the dark and finding himself constantly falling over the same obstacles suddenly without any warning whatsoever the door opened and a lady entered her face was hidden behind a thick veil I rose at once and approached her. "'Is it you, monsieur, who lives here?' she asked. "'Yes, madame, but I do not understand. "'The gate was not locked,' she explained. "'But the vestibule door?' She did not reply, and it occurred to me that she had used the servant's entrance. How did she know the way? Then there was a silence that was quite embarrassing. She looked at Daspry, and I was obliged to introduce him. I asked her to be seated and explain the object of her visit. She raised her veil, and I saw that she was a brunette with regular features, and, though not handsome, she was attractive, principally on account of her sad, dark eyes. "'I am Madame Andermatt,' she said. "'Madame Andermatt,' I repeated with astonishment. After a brief pause, she continued with a voice and manner that were quite easy and natural. "'I have come to see you about that affair, you know—' I thought I might be able to obtain some information. Mon Dieu, madame, I know nothing but what has already appeared in the papers, but if you will point out in what way I can help you... I do not know. I do not know. Not until then did I suspect that her calm demeanor was assumed, and that some poignant grief was concealed beneath that air of tranquility. For a moment we were silent and embarrassed. Then Dasprey stepped forward and said, Will you permit me to ask you a few questions? "'Yes, yes,' she cried. "'I will answer.' "'You will answer, whatever those questions may be?' "'Yes.' "'Did you know Louis Lacombe?' he asked. "'Yes, through my husband. "'When did you see him for the last time?' "'The evening he dined with us.' "'At that time, was there anything to lead you to believe "'that you would never see him again?' "'No, but he had spoken of a trip to Russia in a vague way.' Then you expected to see him again. Yes, he was to dine with us two days later. How do you explain his disappearance? I cannot explain it. And Monsieur Andermat? I do not know. Yet the article published in the Écho de France indicates, yes, that the Varan brothers had something to do with his disappearance. Is that your opinion? Yes. On what do you base your opinion When he left our house, Louis Lacombe carried a satchel containing all the papers relating to his invention. Two days later, my husband, in a conversation with one of the Varan brothers, learned that the papers were in their possession. And he did not denounce them? No. Why not? Because there was something else in the satchel, something besides the papers of Louis Lacombe. What was it? She hesitated, was on the point of speaking, but finally remained silent. Dasprey continued. I presume that is why your husband has kept a close watch over their movements instead of informing the police. He hoped to recover the papers and, at the same time, that compromising article which has enabled the two brothers to hold over him threats of exposure and blackmail. Over him and over me. Ah, over you also. Over me in particular. She uttered the last words in a hollow voice. Dasprey observed it. He paced to and fro for a moment, then, turning to her, asked, Had you written to Louis Lacombe? Of course. My husband had business with him, apart from those business letters. Had you written to Louis Lacombe other letters? Excuse my insistence, but it is absolutely necessary that I should know the truth. Did you write other letters? Yes, she replied, blushing. And those letters came into the possession of the Varan brothers. Yes. Does Monsieur Andermatt know it? He has not seen them, but Alfred Varin has told him of their existence and threatened to publish them, if my husband should take any steps against him. My husband was afraid of a scandal. But he has tried to recover the letters? I I think so, but I do not know. You see... After that last interview with Alfred Varane, and after some harsh words between me and my husband in which he called me to account, we live as strangers. In that case, as you have nothing to lose, what do you fear? I may be indifferent to him now, but I am the woman that he has loved, the one he would still love. Oh, I am quite sure of that, she murmured in a fervent voice. He would still love me if he had not got hold of those cursed letters. What? Did he succeed? But the two brothers still defied him? Yes, and they boasted of having a secure hiding place. Well? I believe my husband has discovered that hiding place. Ah, where is it? Here.